0: And welcome back to Research Recasted, the knowledge mobilization podcast. I'm Brittany Eklund and I'm here with Dylan Cave. Today on the podcast, we're gonna stray a bit from the beaten path in a special episode where we speak with university and community partners on collaboration, innovation, and the role that post-secondaries play in improved health outcomes. Joining us are Dr. Christy Raymond and Reg Joseph. Dr.
1: Raymond is the Dean of the Faculty of Nursing here at McEwen University and a strong advocate for nursing research in Canada. Her research program looks at nursing education and practice, and she has a special interest in the development of nurse educator capabilities and the creation of meaningful clinical learning environments for students.
0: Reg Joseph is the CEO of Health Cities, a Canadian not-for-profit corporation that works with clinicians, innovators, philanthropic organizations, and companies to develop new models of care. Joseph has 20 years of experience spanning the health and technology and investment sectors. And in his role at Health Cities, his focus is on developing new pathways for healthcare delivery to drive better health outcomes and economic growth.
1: In addition to serving on multiple boards of health technology companies, Reg currently serves as chair of the Board of Biotalent Canada and on the McEwan University Board of Governors. Reg has his Bachelor of Science in Physiology and an MBA in Finance.
0: Before we begin, um, we'd love to get some context on the relationship between McEwen University and Health City. So can you guys both walk us through the relationship and how we came to be having this conversation?
2: Christy, do you want to kick us off?
3: So uh, maybe I'll talk a little bit about, in terms of health research and also health innovation, there's been lots of conversation in our faculties, both in the Faculty of Nursing and the Faculty of Health and Community Studies around what does innovation look like and how can we create innovative spaces to help the health settings in which our students work in which our students learn. And so I think that was the impetus for us connecting and figuring out how does Health Cities and our faculties work together to change the outcome, to change the future of health outcomes, but also to really look at what are those partnerships and spaces of possibility that we could capitalize on for mutual gain and also to look at the mutual gain of the health system.
2: That's perfect, Christy. I'll, I'll add one point, which is when we start looking at where health is going in the future, community pay, plays a key role. And, and the reason why it pay, plays a key role is the social determinants of health are a big indicator of how well our health system is doing. And so one of the things that attracted me to McEwen is that connectivity with community. And the fact that they're also training our next generation of healthcare leaders uh, it was a perfect combination for us to say, okay, how do we work together to lead the innovation that we're starting to see in health? And what role can McEwen play in that?
0: Okay, so theoretically, um, what would a collaboration between Health Cities and McEwen? look like and how would a collaboration like that help drive something like innovation and what does innovation look like in health outcomes
3: right now there's a lot around how do you define innovation so i define innovation in the broadest sense looking at what is that quality improvement that happens in the environment to which you're looking to innovate and i think that a partnership would look a lot around what does our faculty do, first of all. So around the research, but it's also about the processes and the people and about the content. And so looking for innovations in all those areas and finding partners within the community that can help us really engage in some design thinking, looking at different ways that we engage with our community clinical partners, and really um, somewhat Smash not only the calendar, but smash the ideas around what does traditional education look like and how can we actually be that active, engaged partner in those health settings and make change.
0: Awesome. Yeah, from a Health Cities perspective, like what, what would that collaboration um, look like from your perspective?
2: Yeah, definitely. So, one of the things we know we're facing in Canada writ large is a talent shortage, uh, particularly in the health and life sciences. Uh, So you'd mentioned my role with Biotalent Canada. They've done a lot of labor market information work across Canada. And for every position today uh, that's available, um, for every two positions that's available today, there's only one qualified candidate. Okay. And that's jumping in the next number of years to four positions for every qualified candidate. So we have a talent challenge. And this university, of course, is a trainer of talent. And and so I think it's an obvious opportunity for us to partner uh, with McEwen and particularly in the health uh, disciplines to look at how are we training uh, that next generation uh, of talent. And um, as Christy had mentioned also, we're not just looking at excellence in healthcare, which we already know We're graduating those students that have excellence in healthcare and clinical practice. But how do we now interweave into that education, that innovation mindset, to look at new ways of delivering care that's going to drive better health outcomes in our community? And that's where we get really interesting. And that's where we also jump into other aspects. So how do we start working with the faculty of business and looking at companies and their role that they play? And how do we start looking at other faculties that can bring different sort of talent sets to the table because we're going to have to pull from many different sorts of skill sets to be able to manage this challenge.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I want to kind of just touch on, you know, you mentioned a talent challenge. So the dean of nursing here at McEwen, can you kind of speak to why there might be a talent challenge from a nursing perspective, what some of the factors are that are maybe limiting participation? You know, is there a low enrollment rate or is there burnout, like what's going on there?
3: We definitely have high interest in nursing programs across Alberta, across Canada. For every seat, there are multiple applications. But I think the talent challenge comes from being able to educate the right graduate for the right time in the right space. And graduates often in nursing programs graduate with a great skill set for clinical practice. But there's pieces missing that would really help round out that innovative picture. And so it's design thinking. It's about policy knowledge. It's about systems knowledge and knowing about how organizations function, how organizations need to change. And so getting students involved uh, less Per se, um, at the practical piece, but more into the theoretical, organizational, widespan thinking, uh, you know, smash the doors off and think differently. How do nurses partner? Uh, an example comes to mind of, of faculty members who are interested in textiles and uniforms. Why not partner nursing business and have people with special talents and interests actually intersect away from nursing? and join other areas so that we can actually make a change a a different uniform that really functions differently would make a huge difference in the work that a nurse does daily and so it's it's being uh, open minded to really looking differently looking at our graduates differently and preparing them from a different different point of view do you mean like physically
0: a different uniform
3: Good. like would more comfortable scrubs like self Hey, you never know. I think that that innovation is about people, processes, products. It's big. And so I think it could be a bunch of different areas. But I think to develop that talent, you have to be able to excite people, inspire them, break down the silos of what we think nursing education should look like. So some of the barriers and challenges are within the very curriculum that we offer. We offer very um, traditional Uh, And again, we do have some innovative pieces in it, but nursing curriculums on a whole aren't usually terribly innovative and you can only put so much into a four year program. But how do we really look at creating spaces so people learn to think differently? So use that traditional, the great building blocks that we have, but take it to the next level.
2: And that's a real challenge because when we start looking at our health systems, our hospital systems and so forth, many of those are sort of dated as well. And so for our students that are coming out of McEwen, for them to get those practical internships and practical experience in a change culture uh, with design thinking and with policy thinking, as Christy said, it's actually hard to come by. And so this is where an academic institution like McEwen has to really think hard about saying, okay, well, the receptor capacity for that is not necessarily there. We actually have to build it here in our school and then have them go out and lead that change. And that's that's difficult to train, uh, particularly when you've got, you know, a really robust four-year program uh, that you're barely trying to squeeze every, all the clinical work in. And so, you know, that's that's it's going to now require some creativity. And uh, that's where I get excited.
1: Right. So you had mentioned um, thinking about implementing curriculum changes into helping, um, you know, bridge the gap between these, these real world experiences and things like that. What are some of the barriers to changing the curriculum and how can we as academics work to make curricular changes that will drive those changes?
3: So health curriculum... Often comes from a uh, somewhat of a reactive standpoint. So we tend to to follow the lead of of things that are occurring in the clinical setting. And I think we need to switch the mindset first of all into a proactive mindset where we're actually leading, not necessarily following. And part of that comes from um, the curriculum piece. But curriculum, not so much in terms of what happens in the classroom, but it's that creative incubator space that you create where people can learn to think. And so some of the challenges around that is it's not as black and white as as sometimes what regulators and program approvers want. They want certain numbers of hours and certain numbers of experiences and the span of experience. So we have to start by planting seeds with our regulators and talking about how we can actually work together to change. And so part of that is is opening up the table And having nursing education, policy, practice, community partners all at the same table. We don't have a common table where we all sit. And so I think that's the first thing is starting that dialogue. The part two that that becomes a bit of a challenge is the time frame in which we need certain approvals for curriculum to go through not only government, but also our regulators and, and other regulators. Often we find governance procedures are, are slow within an institution. Then you couple that with program regulators at a provincial level, and then you've got government regulators as well who like to have certain things happen with degrees, diplomas, credentials, et cetera. So I think it's finding the space to be able to act more nimbly uh, and find that nimbleness tends to be a buzzword now at McEwen uh, and how we work around that and get people to change how long that takes. I find
1: that really interesting Um, you know we deal with it in almost every department I think here at the university um, the challenge to curriculum changes and and things like that and uh, uh, it's right at what point are we falling behind you know it's it's hard to stay on on the cutting edge of technology of technology of everything that we're dealing with when we're forced behind all this policy. So
0: um, I think, um, and this is something I'm very interested in on your perspective, Reg, because you have a background in business and I think business by nature is innovative. You have to find different ways of approaching a problem or a service or a product to keep people interested and you have to adapt to changing times. So, you know, as someone with that business background, like how can academic spaces work around some of those restrictions?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think um, I'll pick a point that uh, Christy had mentioned earlier, which I think is a great way to start, which is hosting these tables. And that's something that Health Cities does quite often, where we bring together community, industry, academia, health system together uh, to look at a particular challenge or problem. So that's definitely a great place to start. Because as Christy mentioned, we've got to start the dialogue. And once we start the dialogue, Then we can start looking at solutioning another approach we can take and it's something that we haven't talked about because we've talked more about the curriculum impact uh, but the other areas we can start to look at is 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 actual projects in community again uh, attracted to mckeon and its connectivity to community health cities has been working uh in community with primary care networks to look at innovative solutions and, and not really on a specific technology uh, as opposed to looking at a specific app or a specific device. We're looking at how do we look at home health monitoring? How do we look at virtual care? How do we look at democratizing access to individuals so that they can get healthcare. And that's the kind of thinking, and and Christy mentioned it again, it's that design thinking about not worrying so much about a specific technology and how well our graduates understand that specific technology, but understanding the opportunity around those technologies to change how we deliver care so we can actually drive better health outcomes, but also accessibility. And that's, so we think where I'd love to explore with McEwen going forward is how do we start looking at some of those in-field opportunities, exposing our students uh, to practicums, internships, uh, and projects that are in the field to augment their education?
0: I mean, that sounds like a great question um, for you, Christy.
3: And I think it really ties into getting away from the traditional. So we have traditional placements that occur in hospital settings and, and places where people really are naturally drawn to think healthcare occurs. And as we move more towards healthcare in the community, meeting people where they're at, accessible health care for seniors, I think that our, our placements and our ideas about placements need to change. And so having students work on a project where it's really about designing something or working with a community partner to solve a problem that doesn't necessarily look at you're going to spend eight hours in a medical surgical unit and you're going to learn certain skills. I think our idea of, of skill set is changing, and so when we look at experiential learning, we need to expand the skill set that we're offering students in our settings. And it, it's great to have the the clinical aspect, the the more traditional one that everyone draws to, and they can't wait to have their, their clinical experience on a medical surgical ward. Um, but there's these other things that are exciting and inspiring, and in places where nurses maybe haven't been working as much, but are critically important as we move to that community.
2: Right, and what's really interesting is is that from a fundamentals perspective, um, the viewpoint actually hasn't changed that significantly because when we start looking at our uh, health sciences training, fundamentally behind all of that training is how do you provide the best of care to your patient, right? And so that doesn't change. What changes is how do we do that? So we've had excellent um, acute care and hospital systems in Canada for the last 50 some odd years. And a lot of those processes have been operationalized. So what our students are learning is those operationalized models that have been fine-tuned for decades. So they're, they're good. They're good clinical models. But now let's get back to fundamentals because the environment's changing. And so providing care from a centralized hospital is not the best for everyone and is not necessarily driving the best outcomes. So let's come back to fundamentals and let's go back to how do we provide care to the individual, but now let's put that in a different environment and how do we start using those tools, using that design thinking to start developing those new protocols and new processes that are not going to drive what the future looks like. So, Amazing.
0: yeah, I have kind of a question because part of this conversation is what is the role that a post-secondary should play? So when you say, you know, development, I'm kind of wondering, is the post-secondary and academic research the place to start developing new modes or models or is it a better place to demonstrate that models work? Like what, how does, what's the difference between Reinventing the wheel and then proving that it works. And what is the role that a post-secondary
3: should play? Or is it up to practitioners in the field?
2: It's a good question. Do you wanna take <laughs> I a think step? It's,
3: I think it's about collaboration. Yeah. I don't think there's one right answer there. I think that it depends on the very specific circumstance in which we find ourselves according to that innovation. So it could be that nursing students and nursing education is leading around say some of the medical charting maybe we're a learning lab for different methods of this electronic medical record maybe then some of that then is placed within healthcare to fine tune according to the setting but it's the students and the educators maybe who are driving that through research through conversations through you know the ability to take time to really think through some of the different ways that we innovate. Sometimes, uh, and maybe Connect Care is a, a good example, sometimes things are brought right to practice. Yet when we start to um, implement, to look at how these things are actually enacted, maybe they should come second to a post secondary institution so we can play with it.
0: Yeah, I do want to just stop for a second. If What is Connect Care for those who may not be familiar with that? And why is it a good example of this?
3: So Connect Care is a, an application where individuals have access to health records and it's where some of the documentation, some of the ordering, some of the different pieces of health care are housed in electronic format. And so this is really a system that Alberta Health Services has implemented in order to streamline, to standardize to make consistent and so in that there's been you know lots of challenges but great opportunities to see how that improves the outcomes for patients so a good thing would be you know maybe some of the researchers in the faculty of nursing will take that and actually research the effectiveness of that implementation maybe then students would take you know as a project and be able to figure out how has this worked where were the challenges what would we do differently you know, maybe we'd get a sandbox from the vendor and actually be able to to play around with it a little bit. So mix nursing with, with some informatics, with some business. Okay, perfect.
2: And, you know, we already have examples of that in Alberta in other sectors. So let's just think of uh, the energy sector and the the strong collaborations between our post-secondary institutions and industry on oil sands. And that level of sort of testing and trying new ideas, validating them, and then working with industry to prove it out. Uh, We've done that already. And so I think we can start developing those models here uh, in Alberta. And I think McEwen can take a step forward to answer the previous question. I, I think it's both. I think it's both taking that theoretical approach and saying, okay, what is the art of the possible here? But how do we also practicalize that? And so do we create a living lab here in McEwen where we test and try out? I think that's a great opportunity to explore.
0: I think something um, that pops into my head, though, I mean, when you mention the collaboration between academic institutions and the energy sector, there's a lot of money there. There's a lot of people that are willing to pay for research um, that is surrounding that sector. Is there that much, I guess, financial incentive for healthcare research? Like, what does the landscape look like from that perspective?
2: I'm gonna jump in and tell you that. Perfect. Absolutely, there is, um, but it's it's categorized differently. So we look at it as a health spend in our province, right? And if we look across the nation again, most provinces are getting pretty close to 50% of annual budget is being spent on healthcare and that's rising every year. So I think we cannot afford not to. We have to. Um and so how do we now get smarter about taking some of those resources and deploying them to these initiatives that are going to drive better healthcare in the future?
0: Okay. Like yeah. from the from the faculty of nursing, like do you guys did you
3: want to touch on that as well? There definitely is. I mean, there's, there's money around health and research, uh, and that money goes to very specific topics. And so not necessarily to the innovation realm, which I think we need to advocate for much stronger. So I agree, we spend a lot of money on healthcare, more than most, and the outcomes necessarily, we don't see rise or we don't see the quality change. And so really dividing up some of that, that dollar spent to looking at innovation would be, would be fantastic.
2: And then there's also the opportunity for industry. And and here, what I want to be very clear about is what aspect of industry am I talking about and what role do they play? So I, I want to couch this by saying, when we look at our acute care delivery system, Alberta Health Services, for example, think of all the instruments that they buy from industry. Look at all the consumables that they buy on an annual basis. It is the largest health authority in Canada, covering 4.5 million people. It's a big buying power. And uh, I sometimes have to tell individuals that I'm talking about this, uh, there isn't an AHS employee that's building MRIs in the basement of AHS, right? They're (laughs) buying that from a GE or a Philips or whomever that may be. So how do we start looking at partnering with industry in a way where we're telling industry what our needs are, what our challenges are in Alberta, what we're looking for in terms of our ability to better service our clients, our citizens of Alberta, and work with industry to come up with those innovative solutions as well. And so uh, back to the point of, you know, is there dollars there? Yes, there's dollars not only from the spend uh, from a provincial standpoint, but there's also industry dollars there who are just like you mentioned earlier, companies are trying to reinvent themselves and figure out how they're going to fit into this new model of health evolution. Well, let's lead that. Instead of having industry come and sell us the latest and greatest, let's work with them and tell them what we're looking for so we can actually address the challenges that we that we have here. Well, and
0: inform the advances. And I think exactly. that that's...
2: Yeah, it's like who is informing them?
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: well, so building right them, I
2: guess. now, so this is the challenge, and I forgive me, I'm going to get out of my soapbox a little bit, but this is the challenge in Canada. Um, when we look at every other sector, uh, whether it's the energy sector, transportation sector, financial sector, when we're looking to make policy, whether it's provincial level or federal level, industry is there because we'll be looking to industry to deploy those solutions, right? If you're looking at new financial systems, the banks better be on board because they're going to be the ones loaning the money or creating those financial instruments. Yeah. Well, in the very same way, we don't do that in health. And so to your question of who's informing industry, no one. <laughs> and so we need to change that. Yeah. We absolutely need to change that. And so could that be a role that our post-secondaries take? Could our forward thinkers in our academic institutions say, you know what, this is where we're going. Um, You know, we should actually start informing industry that these are the things that are really going to hit the nail in terms of meeting the challenges of the future. This is where we'd like to focus.
0: Chrissy,
3: did you want to actually touch on that and speak to, to that possibility? Absolutely. I think researchers will play a key part in in educational institutions. They they tend to have their finger on the pulse of those complex, messy issues. And then they tend to be able to figure out, through their intervention research, what works and what doesn't. So to be able to, to get those research findings directly to industry, instead of sometimes putting research findings into the atmosphere and seeing where they float, I think it's important that that actually is a really big knowledge translation key piece that we're missing in health. Um, obviously, the research, but then looking at, you know, what is the student experience around, around that? Not only the research piece, but also being able to say, okay, so what would you innovate in this situation? And again, I think post-secondary, the students, the students have time to think if we give them that time. I have to say in nursing curricula, we don't give them that time. They're, they're too busy putting all their textbooks in their heads uh, for their very, very busy schedule. So how do we give them time to think and then be part of that and be able to to pitch those projects to well, industry as well? How do we? We change the curriculum. Okay. We smash the calendar. We change <laughs> the curriculum. And um, yes, yeah, a lot no, of people just, get very upset with me. <laughs> I know,
0: but I'm curious. Like we're sitting here, we're having the conversation. Curriculum is something that's very important, Um in informing all of the things we've talked about. So theoretically, like what, how would you change the curriculum if you could major wave a wand and next year curriculum was different? Would you make it a five-year program? Would you change the way that classes are structured? Like how do you give nurses more time to not only remember how the entire human body works, um, mind and body, but then to think innovatively and have time to be creative?
3: And I think, I mean, if I were to to propose a curriculum and that's not how it works, obviously we need lots of brains on it. So one brain isn't, isn't great. You need the faculty to drive it. So the first thing would be to get those faculty together to get them inspired and get them thinking about how that happens. I think lots of value has been placed on Time in class is often seen as valuable time and I think again, it's that creating that space of a non-full schedule and so it is time to think. It's infusing different assignments throughout their program that actually connect them with the people that can make change and so it's, it's relaxing a little bit in terms of clinical practice and hours spent. It's also allowing some self-direction and so every student is not built the same. And so why isn't there that flexibility to allow self-regulated learning Uh, to meet competencies? Absolutely. Would never say don't meet competencies. That's very important. Um, But to give that flexibility, some people are going to be innovators, some people aren't. And that's okay. But find the space to connect the innovators to the time and the people that they need to be connected to to make a difference.
2: Yeah, Christy, I love that. Um, And, you know, again... We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We have examples of that in other faculties operating right here at McEwen. So let's take the business school. Uh, A great idea where, you know, fundamentally a business student that's coming out at the end of uh, their graduation, there are some key competencies that those business students are going to have. But we stream them. Some are more apt for accounting, and they're going to major in accounting, and they're going to go and take their designation thereafter in accounting. That's great. Um, There are other people that are going to be on the innovation spectrum, and they're going to do other things, and they're going to be entrepreneurial. So I think we can create that level of streaming in our health sciences curriculum as well. And so we don't have to force everyone down that path necessarily, but let's create the flexibility for those that are interested in that path. Um, Let's give them that time to think, let's give them the time to experiment, let's give them that time to collaborate to enable that to happen.
0: Absolutely. We have touched a lot on the space to innovate and how different people are good at different things, right? So, forgive me, because I'm going to kind of try to weave this all together, but you know, we've mentioned having the right person for the right role, we've mentioned technology, we've mentioned practice. What about the roles themselves? Is there space for different kinds of roles in healthcare? Like maybe, you know, you have an RN and you have a nurse and you might have like a home health aide. but like maybe there's innovation in what kinds of roles we're training
3: people to have. Is there, am I out to lunch here? Not at all. Um, I think we've got very traditional roles that obviously are in legislation and policy, but again... If if I were to have a wish, it would be that people would be more aware of policy. I want a policy class. I'm a policy nerd. It's, it's, it's not a common thing. Not everyone likes that policy stream. But I think we have to start with some of that legislation, too, and looking at, you know, what is the nursing care partner family? What is the health care partner family in terms of interdisciplinary work? And so not working in nursing alone, but what about social work? What about, you know, pharmacists? What about, you know, not only in the walls of McEwen and the different health professions that we have here, but what about collaborations with the U of A? What about collaborations with other post-secondaries? So, again, it's that thinking broader, but I, I agree. I don't, I don't know in terms of nursing roles if we have the mix right. We have very specific roles in Alberta, we have registered nurses, we have licensed practical nurses. We also have, and, and McEwen has, the only psychiatric nursing program in Alberta. Now psychiatric nursing is, is something very specific to Western provinces. It's not across Canada. In fact, the same acronym is used for the LPN equivalent in Ontario. So then it's even more confusing as you as you sort of depart from the Western provinces. So I think again, it, it's a conversation nationwide on what does nursing look like? What are the nursing care partners and the different health roles that we have in the nursing family and how do they articulate? It weaves nicely into some of my research on workforce and workloads and and how do we do staffing mix? I don't even know if, if there's been innovation in that per se. And I think the pandemic has been a perfect opportunity to start to rethink how we do things, how we mix different staffing categories. And again, I think a, a policy class, a legislation class, a great project would be, if you could blow it up and start again, what would you have as your regulated health nursing professions?
2: And I want to pick up on a point that, uh, a key uh, point that Christy raised uh, around policy. And so uh, she made the joke that she's a policy wonk. And, and, in, <laughs> and when we make those comments, um, you know, we look at that and say, oh, policy, that's, you know, boring paper stuff and so forth and that kind of thing. But really, it's, it is policy that is going to enable us to make these changes. And that's key. And so we actually need innovation and in policy and we need innovative policy makers. We need innovative thinkers. When we look at the jurisdictions that have transformed their health systems around the world, it's policy. That's where that starts uh, there's a whole bunch of other things that fall underneath that, but it is key. And so what role do our post-secondaries play now in policy? And is there inter- inter- interdisciplinary types of pro- programs that we can drive that help marry health practice and policy and start looking at these new models? Uh, that's going to be key uh, in, in Alberta and Canada going forward. And
3: you know, We've got students that work together in their education. They go out into the workforce and say... How come we're not working together? And so I think we drive it that way. So how do we do that interprofessional collaborative practice well? And those are areas in universities that often don't fare well in terms of budgets and pragmatics. How do we meld the schedule of 18,000 students so that they can meet other students from other faculties, disciplines, and and different bends on life? So I think we've got a lot of work to do there, but it's possible.
2: Oh, it's
1: totally possible we have you know we have I think every every faculty has their own challenges with interdisciplinary work and it comes down to implementing that interdisciplinary work into curriculum and making you know projects that that help these connections uh, and then when we go on to work in our professional careers we can make those connections um, that we've made throughout our university careers I think
3: I agree.
2: I'm going to jump in on another piece that's very close to my heart. And, and we did touch on innovation and technology, but there's another piece that uh, we didn't fully cover. Because uh, when I talked about industry, I talked a fair bit about established industry. Uh, what's really interesting, and I just came from a conference in Calgary, and it was a blockchain conference, of course, and, and uh, there's a lot of disruption happening around. But what's really exciting in Alberta in the last couple of years the number of tech companies in our province has literally doubled. Wow. And the amounts of financing that these companies are getting is going through the roof, and Alberta is leading the way. And so here's another opportunity in terms of how do we partner with that community? How do we partner with that tech startup community? Because they're coming up with the newest novel solutions. Now, back to the point that we had had before about, well, how do we inform them then? Right. And how do we include them into our community and say, well, let's co-develop some solutions? Because those companies are on the cutting edge and are actually more willing to listen to where the needs are emerging and where the thinkers are are guessing where the where the technology is going to be needed. Um, Perfect place would it be for those collisions to happen here at McEwen.
0: Yeah, we've... Yeah, to that point, I mean, we've talked a lot about post-secondary and McEwen and the role that it would play. But I'm kind of curious about like from a Health Cities perspective, you do work with innovators and companies and philanthropic organizations and researchers. So so what would that role be and how could a collaboration between McEwen and Health Cities really help, you know, get practitioners in on creating apps that work for patient and practitioner?
2: So, look, it is it is really around uh, credibility and knowledge. So Health Cities is at the cold face. We're working in the field, and we're working with uh, technologies and clinicians and looking at new ways of delivering care and m- merging those together, and it's great. But we actually don't have a lot of the capacity and, and to be honest, even the capability to start thinking broadly about, okay, how do we look at systems now, right? And so we're doing these individual projects and we're saying, okay, well, how do we take these projects now and scale them? I want to flip it. I want to work with post-secondaries who live and breathe this on a regular basis and say, well, this is how we're looking at systems of the future. Um, How do we model that, right? And then now we can get smarter about how we're modeling that. And so that's where I think There's a great opportunity for the work that we're doing in the field with Alt Cities to meld that with our post-secondaries and actually do things that are purposeful in terms of systems change.
0: What are the next steps for making this art of the possible something that is not just possible but happening?
2: I've got some ideas and yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Jump we've in. sort of touched on them. And I'll, I'll look to Christy to kick me under the table if I'm going off here. But I think the first uh, is uh, we need to have these conversations and we need to sit down uh, with uh, the leaders here at McEwen and say, OK, so where are you thinking uh, this sector is going and where can we uh, collaborate? The, the second piece is let's start hosting those tables. Let's bring The individual practitioners to the table, let's bring policymakers to the table, let's bring our academics to the table, and let's start co-designing concepts and ideas. And then lastly, let's implement them. So do we implement them here in a test and trial lab first, and then take it out into the real world? You know, those are conversations that we need to have, but it all comes back down to something that Christy said, which is collaboration. And we need many different types of collaborators at the table for us to be able to realize this.
3: And I think we need to, to reach in and leverage those partnerships we have now and be able to to inspire those people to want to come together and to start the conversation. But I think the key is just start. And I think we, we've often done a lot of, of talking around technology and innovation. And I mean, I think innovation's... Yes, technology, because that's where everyone's brain goes when you say innovation. For some reason, it's yeah. <laughs> we need some more VR goggles for for the nursing lab. It's like ah, it's kind of bigger than that.
2: Yeah, much bigger. And yeah. I think you know, honestly, Christy, to your point, I think the technology piece is probably the smallest piece in innovation. And um, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because that is where we need to focus. It's systems, it's design thinking, it's uh, it's actually research.
3: Absolutely. And research in the, in the broadest big R sense of the word, and it's, it's research involving students. And so it's looking at what are the current places in our curriculum that we can start to insert some of these key partnerships and key experiences, and what faculty are interested in getting that started. And again, doing a bit of faculty development around what is innovation and what place does it have in curriculum, I think will be key. And leveraging their experiences and even some of our clinical nurse educators what are your experiences in those settings to know what needs to change and what are what's your vision about how that changes and I think you start to inspire and and cultivate that energy and then watch where things grow I don't think you want to constrain it restrain it I think it's it's Blow it wide open, have some great innovative conversations with the right people at the table, and then see where it goes. And I can see us, you know, having involvement through not only technology, but but also lots of different places, like a policy course. That would be my dream. <laughs> <laughs> Christy
0: loves policy. <laughs> and we're going to get a very, very big table because it sounds like there's a lot of moving parts um, that are really necessary for a holistic approach to Improving health comes, health outcomes, and
1: health comes. I like that. Yeah. Oh, I
0: like that <laughs> yeah,
2: We just coined a word. We just coined a word. <laughs> coined
0: a word. Um, but yeah, my last kind of big question is: we've talked a lot about um, why, from a theoretical perspective, how, from a theoretical perspective, we've kind of talked about what we could do and what we want to do. Um, my big question is going all the way back to the beginning: why is it imperative that we improve upon them? And which health outcomes really are the first focus? Like what do we need to fix right now? What's the first thing?
2: I'm going to jump in here because uh, you're, you've are you just laid up another soapbox for me to step on. <laughs> Perfect. So, I love it. Uh, so imperative. Uh, I'm really glad you brought that up because this is really key. Um, our health outcomes in Canada are declining. So a a report just came out last quarter uh, from the Commonwealth Fund that actually compares health system performance and health outcomes amongst the G11. Many Canadians are shocked when I talk to them to say Canada is now number 10 out of 11. Right? Okay. So we we're all raised with this idea of, you know, Canadian healthcare. It's pretty darn good and we love our healthcare in Canada. We do. And yeah, there's some inefficiencies and you know, we complain <laughs> about this and that, but you know what? It's really good healthcare. Uh the data is not showing that. We're slipping. So the imperative is we need to improve. Not only have our outcomes declined over the past couple of decades, our costs are going up. Yeah. So we are now there are um, government administrators who are trying to decide, do we pay more money just to keep the health system running the way it was last year and not build a school and not build a road? I mean, that's the kinds of decisions we're making now. So it is key for us to start looking at new models because we're running out of money Yeah, and, and we're not doing our best in terms of delivering the best healthcare because- out of the G11, many countries have now surpassed Canada in terms of their ability to drive better health outcomes. So from my perspective, we need to act, we need to act now. And some people will say, I'm, I'm a little bit alarmist, we're in a healthcare crisis and we need to fix it. And so we need a way out.
3: And I think it's quality of life. So yes, we've got hard outcomes that we look at in terms of evidence, but it's that general quality of life of how people report, how they feel, Uh, what they feel, and if I had a policy class, which I'm going to work on, we could also look at what are the nursing outcomes, because I think we've, we've defined things in a certain way, but our environment has changed. So I think we actually need to look at how do we define health outcomes.
2: Where do we start? That's another question that came up. And so when we look back at that report that I was talking about from the Commonwealth Fund, where, where specifically is is a nation like Canada lacking? What well, we're lacking in primary care. So mm-hmm. we've done very well in acute care. Our acute care systems are quite good, uh, and we know that when we go in, if you have a heart attack or you have a bone break, you're gonna you're gonna get the best of the best. Uh, but our biggest issues are chronic disease prevention and management, and we're not doing a good job at that. So when we look at the big chronic challenges that we have, diabetes, obesity, mental health, they're all on the rise. And so primary care is where we're failing and we're falling, and that's where we need to focus. So, yes, um, and that's why community is so important because that's where primary care happens. And so that's why, again, I'm very excited about this community context that McEwen lives and breeds. We need to apply that into healthcare. And now let's interject policy. Let's interject innovation. Let's interject design thinking to see how we can actually create new systems to change that trajectory that we're on and start increasing our health outcomes in Canada.
0: Well, I I imagine that, yes, maybe our acute healthcare is great, but if you don't have good health comes throughout the cycle, you're gonna be putting so much more pressure exactly. on acute. And especially if you are have a budget that is getting increasingly bloated for less quality of healthcare, then you're sacrificing other things like mental health care, education, all of these things that actually contribute to better health outcomes, I imagine. So yeah, it's a pretty drastic picture um, or drastic needs, um, to be taken. Did you want to touch on Reg's point?
3: Absolutely. And I think it's, it's educating those individuals that are going to be flexible to be able to work in the different environments and the focus areas that we're finding where our outcomes are lower. So the preventative health, primary health care, we've raised those alarms before, And we haven't necessarily moved the system in that direction as quickly as we needed to um, or as much as we've needed to. And I think we're seeing some of those effects now.
2: And that's where innovation comes in, right? So let's look at it practically because we can sit here and say, well, we need to put more money into primary care. But let's put ourselves in the government administrators' hands who say, well, we're already spending 40-some percent of our budget on health care. Where are we going to find more money for primary care? That's where innovation comes in that's where we start to saying, okay, well, can we create new models that actually don't cost more, that don't require us to build a a lot of brick-and-mortar facilities? Can we look at a different way where we can actually be really efficient in how we uh, deliver new forms of care, but it's actually driving better health outcomes, right? And that's where innovation really comes into play. If we try to use the old models into primary care will never. It, it's not going to work. No. So we need to develop new models. And I think with the innovators we have around in community, in academia, in industry, we can do it. We we have the brain power here. We talk about our brain power in Alberta and the talent that we have. Let's harness that, and let's get them in a room and let's figure this out.
3: I don't know about you, but I just want to live in that smart condo that <laughs> age well developed. I think that's fantastic. I haven't heard of it, pray tell. So according to uh, some of the tweets that have gone out around it, uh, Smart Condo has a lot of the technological pieces that help those who are aging to live in environments where there's support and access to the things that they need. So keeping people in their homes longer, being able to, you know, not put them in the brick and mortar hospitals, which cost a fortune, uh, to be able to sustain them and, and to raise that quality of life within their home environments through that mechanism, I think it's smart with the aging population, we look at what are those care measures that we need to do differently to help that population be well, uh, age well, and also, you know, live in in cheaper, uh, more economical, more efficient, yet more quality environments. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And so this is uh, an initiative that uh, Health Cities has kicked off in partnership with the Brenda Stratford Foundation and Age Well uh, to start looking at tech-enabled living environments that can serve multiple purposes. And how do we integrate technology to drive better uh, quality of life, right? And so let's get away from this model of, okay, you've diagnosed with X, you're institutionalized. And one of the things that's very clear, particularly in our Canadian system, is, is that institutionalization is usually a one-way street. Yeah. So once you're institutionalized, you're there. The other thing we know, and the literature has demonstrated this, is that outcomes decline significantly once you're institutionalized. So from a better health quality uh, perspective, from a better quality of life perspective, let's start looking at integrating health into the home uh, so that it is part of your daily living. Uh, That is where we're gonna start seeing some really interesting results Um, And then, yeah, the offset is, hey, maybe we'll save some money as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, ideally, and that's the thing is people are always like, oh, we don't have enough money for, say, mental health, universal mental health, psychiatric care, things like that. The thing is, is you need it. You need it. And we see it, especially when you're looking at some community partners who are saying the long-term effects of people not getting help when they need it because Mm -hmm. it's not readily available is on the judicial system, it's in the healthcare system, it's just cost of life all around, so. Well, the old adage, <laughs> an
2: ounce of prevention, right? And we can do that here, but right? We need our innovators and we need our academic thinkers to come up with the models of, well, what does an ounce of prevention look like? And how do we deploy that? An ounce of and prevention, I think that's
1: I a I I think that's a perfect point to just send home right at the end. Um, we're kind of running out of time today, but I just, one last thing. Um, before we let let you both go, if there's anything that we missed or a really important point that we didn't get to talk about today, now's the time. We're going to give the floor to you um, and let's just uh, leave it with you.
2: Yeah, I'm surprised you're opening it up because we'll go on for that. I think we've we've covered, uh, from my end anyway, I think we've covered uh, some really significant ground today. So
3: thank you. Thank you. And thank you for your time, Reg. I know it's precious. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really value the connecting piece and I I look forward to further collaborations.
1: As do I. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you both so much for, for joining us on today's episode. Well, that's all we have for today's episode of Research Recasted. If you'd like a checkup on today's conversation, please follow the links in the episode description.
0: If you think this podcast is fit as a fiddle, you can visit Research Recasted on your favorite podcast platform to catch new episodes every two weeks. Also, check us out on Instagram at Research Recasted, where you can leave a like, give us a follow, or send us a message if you have any follow-up questions from today's episode.
1: This has been Research Recasted, a knowledge mobilization podcast brought to you by the Office of Research Services and the Faculty of Fine Art and Communications at McEwen University. Research Recasted is hosted and produced by Dylan Cave and Brittany Eklund. Music, sound design and editing by Dylan Cave, with research, copy editing and scripting by Brittany Eklund. Our executive producer is Raymond Bury.